Holy God, through the generations you have spoken to us, redeeming God through the power of your Holy Spirit, connect us to eternity through our hearing of your word, that we might know your living presence and seek to do your will. I pray that you may use me, your imperfect vessel, to speak your perfect truth. Open ears and hearts to your words. Transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A moment of, of education. You notice that we've got white cloths on the altar. And you might be wondering, no, it's not communion. That's next week. But today in the Presbyterian Church USA, PCUSA, it's the day we celebrate Christ the King Sunday. Christ the King Sunday, which is why you see the white cloth. Next week starts a new year for us, and we'll talk a little bit about that uh, when the time comes. That's why the cloths are up here. Also Thanksgiving, as we approach Thanksgiving, so it's a holiday for us. So it's interesting that the sermon title that, uh, or sermon that you're about to hear should fall just before Thanksgiving, where there'll be lots of family Lots of eating, lots of chatting, and oh yes, the family fights that will come along with the turkey and the stuff. Well, if you've been with us for the past three weeks, you know that we've been talking about human relationship. We began with the spirit-led wife, then the spirit-led husband. Last week, we had a very interactive conversation about parents and children. And today we're going to talk about the extended family. Now, unfortunately, we are, we're short on time today, so we're not going to use the format that we did last week. And after I thought about that, I'm not quite so sure that's the way to have done that, to have mother-in-laws and father-in-laws and daughter-in-laws and son-in-laws up here facing one another. But, <laughs> Don't worry, I'm going to give you a little opportunity to share your thoughts with each other. And that's dangerous too, because if you are sitting next to your mother-in-law or your father-in-law, you might not be quite, or sister-in-law, you might not be quite as honest as you might be. And I want you to clearly understand when I say in-laws, I'm going to talk primarily about parents, but in-laws, as you know, is everybody from the grandmother to the great-grandmother down to the newest baby. They're all in First, let's talk about this. How do we define family? How do we define family? Well, that's a big word. That's a big word, and I think in our text, in our cultural text, it's even big. But just to let you know, there are certain overall marching family uh, types. And, but normally this means people living under the same roof, right? You have the nuclear family with mother, father, and children. You have single parent house family. You have child and couple. Remember I said to you, they're still family. Then you have the extended family with the grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, sisters, brothers. Then you have the blended family. I grew up in a blended family. And that's usually where there are uh, stepchildren, and uh, half-siblings combined. And then, unfortunately, in today's times, particularly in the African-American community, 
have families that are being led by grandparents. That is grandparents that are raising their children. But as we know, us as people of color, as I said, extended family is not defined by those living under the same roof, the same city, or even for us, the same continent. Family also includes friends, which means all of which have a strong impact on the family unit, no matter which of these categories we fall into. But we know, under most circumstances, family begins with two people who commit themselves to each other, and they start a family. Sometimes the family is planned, and sometimes it's not. As you've often heard me say, I was not a planned addition to my family. A marriage, such as the ones that we're going to celebrate soon with uh, or renewal of a family with Eddie and Eunice, they can testify that a marriage is not just a tie between two people who love each other. It also marks the advent of another new relationship the one you have with your in-laws. Now, show of hands, how many of you have in-laws? Mother, father, sister, brother, cousin. If you have an in-law, let me see your hand. You notice I didn't say if they were a good law, in-law, or bad in-law. I just asked if you had one. Now, here's another question. How many of you have a mother or a father-in-law that's still alive. Mother or father-in-law that's still alive. Okay, a lot of your hands, a lot of your hands. Now, who of you is a mother-in-law? Who of you is a mother-in-law? Who of you is a father-in-law? Alright. Now, it's often said that once you get married, you're also married into your partner's family. This may be true, more true for some than there are for others, but interacting with your spouse as a family and developing some sort of relationship with them is inevitable. And as you know, there's so many jokes out there that float around about in-laws. For example, two men were in a pub in a bar, and one says to his friend, my mother-in-law is an angel. And his friend replies, you're lucky, mine is still alive. <laughs> or father-in-laws, is this how what you say about your son-in-law? A question, who would you rather deal with, a vicious dog than your father-in-law? Answer. A vicious dog eventually lets go. <laughs> Mother-in-laws, and I am a mother-in-law, sometimes there could be a little tension between mother and daughter-in-law. As a mother once said, mother-in-law once said, when I die, I want to be buried next to the Walmart. At least my daughter-in-law will visit me there. <laughs> now some use humor to cope. And while jokes are usually aimed at mother-in-laws, they provide some comic relief, and they do downplay the seriousness of the role of in-laws to break down a relationship. And why is it that we mother-in-laws always get the bum rap? 
most popular one recently might be Jennifer Lopez and Jane Fonda, who performed in Monster in Law, if you remember that, or my big fat Greek wedding, whose storyline perhaps you can identify with. The young woman, the star, creates an uproar within her traditional Greek family by falling for a guy with one flaw. He was not Greek. All jokes aside, in-law interference can be extremely damaging to a couple, and if not dealt with in a correct manner, it can lead to families being torn apart. Your in-laws, what do these three words mean to you? Do they make you feel less happy, like you're feeling missing out? Not good enough, anxious, angry, sad, thankful, perhaps bitter. In-laws are a group of people who have unique, personal, and intimate relationship with your spouse, which existed long before your involvement with your uh, significant other. Whatever the situation is and whatever emotion is stirred, when you think of them, they play a pretty important role in the life of your husband or your wife's heritage, not to mention everyday life. Whether they were incredible parents, odd or dead, or not ideal at all, your in-laws are the people you have and have had a hand in shaping your spouse and in shaping you, good or not so good. Remember, it's the same for the two of you. Whatever the whole life is, it was the first image you had of what married life would be like. But now the question becomes, when do in-laws become outlaws? <laughs> when do in-laws become outlaws? The scripture we have are examples of wonderful and supportive in-laws. You heard, if you remember the story with Jethro and Moses, and he gave him an example of how he could lighten as I shared with the Bible study group on Thursday, our communities, the, the structure of the community at First Church is based on the example that Jethro gave Moses to follow. That the, the father or Moses, the leader there, should not, he would be overburdened if he tried to take care of anybody and everybody's small details. And so we broke up our large congregation into eight at that time, we had an elder or a deacon working with the communities, and the communities were supposed to go to that person first, and then ultimately come to the pastor. So that's the way, or that's why, our communities are set up there. What's interesting, and perhaps you don't know, Jethro was not an Israelite. He was not one of God's chosen. And yet, if you read scripture there, you can see that his instructions to Jethro indicates that he was a God-fearing man. And he told uh, Moses what? Find God-fearing men. And what about the story with Ruth and Naomi? We know that story, we know it well. But let's remind ourselves also that Ruth was, although they were living in a foreign land, Ruth also was not an Israelite. She was not supposedly one of God's chosen. So think about those two families and the impact that the believer had on 
non-believer in that relationship. So the scripture we had tell about the good in-laws, we want to think about that. But scripture also tells of relationships that are not perfect. Let me share with you three scriptures. First, Micah chapter 7, verse 6. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies are members of your own house. And then moving on to New Testament in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 36. Do not think, this is Christ speaking, do not think that I come to be priest peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own house. And in Luke, from now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two, and two against three. So as we hear that scripture, as we study in Bible study this week, why does this happen? Why do we have such conflict in the family? Yes, it is our own sinful nature, first and foremost, it's our own sinful it should not come as any surprise that most couples who go into therapy or come to pastors or professional therapists blame their symptoms on irreconcilable differences regarding sex, money, or in-laws, often referred to as the big three. Not Trump's three, but these three. <laughs> the in-law issue I'm addressing here is interference, but many of these apply, these things can apply to your friends as well. What are things that happen? Why is this cause? First is separation. See, crazy as it sounds, you think about your child that goes to school for the first day and that anxiety of separation. Well, some parents have a great deal of trouble separating from their children. As a result, they refuse to let go and let their children achieve autonomy. The tighter bond between parents and children, the tougher it is going to be to let go. But parents are not only to blame. Some men and women find it difficult to be the influence of their own family, especially their mothers, and this may, may create tension in the marriage. It's not uncommon for a son to be tied to his mother's apron string long after marriage which can easily become a source of nuisance for the one. You know, we've often heard the term, what, a mama's boy? That's the term we hear. But then you're not off the hook here. How many men have, have a difficulty in letting their daughters go? You know, with the ceremony, when we bring you forward, supposedly, the father is to hand off the bride to the husband. And while that may physically be happening, it's not always done emotionally. And then there's entitlement. Some parents have trouble letting go because they feel they were deprived in their respective families at the beginning. Who knows? Perhaps their own parents didn't provide whatever it was they needed, but they now feel they are entitled to this child, to death, to 
also felt that for parents and children, the children also feel that they can co-conspire to allow interference because it's something that they felt they they want. Then of course the big one, competition and jealousy. Competition and jealousy. As hard as we need to deal with that, it does exist. Parents often have trouble seeing their children living a better life than they do. Even though parents, isn't that what we wanted? We do everything we want for our child so that they can have a better life. And yet sometimes when the better life is there, we look at them with, with those green eyes of jealousy. It's also the reverse. That we know that sometimes children, because of economic issues, are not able to achieve all that their parents got. And sometimes that leads to this interference as well. And then, of course, there's illness. Physical or mental illness that may cause in-laws to bury their children's dependence. Sometimes the birth is appropriate, and sometimes it's not. And so, and I call you children, but you're adults. As the couple, you need to determine how much of that is real and how much of that is not. And then last but not least, if the in-laws have a dysfunctional marriage, they may direct their focus on their children's marriage. You know, just but parents, just because your marriage didn't work out, you can't be the therapy for your children's Okay, now see, I'm gonna be a little like that. But again, just because yours didn't doesn't mean that theirs will not. And when you see trouble happening, I hate to say this, you gotta step back. You know, you cannot run someone else's. If there's one thing that I notice in each of these verses in the Bible, it's warning us of the vision of our family. And this can get heavy. And this morning when we read these, we took a deep sigh. Because we heard what we were, we knew what we were saying. But, of course, church, there is good news. Jesus, our Savior, came to give us swords of righteousness, which can defend upon against this king. He came to tell us, in the battlefield of anything else, we are here to love him, and we're here to love one another. Now, some of you may be thinking, yeah, that sounds good, but how can love be used as a weapon when we're thinking of weapons as physical things that you fist fight with? But we have to realize when we don't love one another, that is the weapon that Satan uses. And that's what he hates the most is that we can band together and when we want best for one another. So what are my suggestions to you for all of this? First, pray. Always pray. And come to realize that you don't have to love everybody, and everybody's not going to love you. But in-laws are parents, and scripture tells us we have to respect them. And there are many things that can be done to limit the in-laws interference in the married life. But here's the point. Do not have couples, do not have divided loyalties. Your first loyalty 
go to the person to whom you're married and the family that you've created with him or with her. You need to create strong boundaries. Make sure that your in-laws know what boundaries are meant, are not meant to close them out. Now, and I see you looking at me and saying, okay, ladies, you know, that sounds like good news, but do you know my mother-in-law? Do you know my father-in-law? Well, yes, and that is why I would I say always pray. Always pray. Now, if the wife has a problem with the mother-in-law, husbands, you need to step in and vice versa. That's when it really gets hard. A person with a primary relationship should be helping to sort out the differences. Husbands, you can't always step back and let mother-in-law and wife go at But what's most important, do not criticize your parents' relationship with your in-laws. You cannot criticize your mother-in-law or your father-in-law in public. And certainly not with other relatives because you don't know where that person lies. Some things you need to keep to yourself or take to the therapist or come and talk to your parents. Solve your problems within the marriage without involving your parents. Couples tend to speak to their families mostly about arguments. Why should they go to your mother or mother-in-law and say, you know what he did to me that is. But did you go to those same people and tell them how good he made you feel the night before? <laughs> so they're only getting one side of the situation. They're getting one side. So what happens is families have a skewed view of the relationship and it gives them permission or license to enter. Let your in-laws know, albeit gently, that their concern and care is appreciated, but they do not hold a decision-making role in your family life. They're appreciated, but they do not hold a decision-making role in the family life. Well, and needless to say, there's, you know, you need to talk to your parent, to your spouse about the feelings and so that they know what's going on and so they're not being It's so hard, as you talked this morning in the current economic climate, that many couples have to return to their parents for support with finances or with child. So when, they, when you accept the money or offers of babysitting or loans, that is an exception, but sometimes tides come with those things. And so it's something that you have to work out and it gets so complicated. And I understand that. So how do you be independent when you're dependent? And there's that tension. How are you independent when you're dependent? Parents, how do we give them the independent and yet help them along the way? Well, we started out the serious, serious, serious conversations about relationships with Adam and Eve. Pastor, if you, if you remember, we started back in Genesis 2 several weeks ago. After all, they were the first married couple. But think of it. Despite all of their issues, they didn't have in-laws. <laughs> they did not have in-laws. 
But let's think about that. One day, another way this could go is that one day after a long time in the Garden of Eden, Eden, Adam calls out, Lord, I have a problem. What's the problem, Adam? The Lord replies, Lord, I know you created me and you provided for me and surrounded me with this beautiful garden and all these wonderful animals, but I'm just not happy. Why is that, Adam? Comes the reply from the heavens. Lord, I know you created this place for me with all this lovely food and all these beautiful animals, but I'm lonely. Well, Adam, in that case, I have the perfect solution. I shall create a woman for you. What's a woman, Lord? This woman will be the most intelligent, sensitive, caring, and beautiful creature I have ever created. She will be so intelligent, she can figure out what you want before you want. She will be so sensitive and caring that she will know your every move and know how to make it happen. Her beauty will be a rival, will rival that of the heavens and earth. She will unquestionably care for your every need and desire. She will be the perfect companion for you, implies the heavenly voice. Sounds great. She will be, but this is going to cost you, Adam. How much is this woman going to cost you? Well, she'll cost you an arm, a leg, an ear, an eye. Adam ponders for a while took a deep breath with a look of thought and concern on his face. Finally, Adam asked the Lord, uh, what can I get for a ring? Well, what he got was us. <laughs> from time to time, but with the Lord's help, we're learning to love one another more and more, and show less and less of what we used to do. God himself teaches us to love like that. We can love one another because he loved us first, and we can express love to one another appropriately. We can take a human interest in the well-being of each other and seek to encourage and strengthen one another in our mutual faith. And as far as the growth inhibitors go, we can go, we can repent for being control free and trying to run somebody else's life. This is not encouragement. That's not encouragement. That is coercion. We can repent of gossip and create a drama which distracts people who God is and what he wants from us. That's life in the family of God. That's how we grow. That's how we love. Let us ask God to help us live and love in such a way that people will see him in us. Not only strangers, but in cause and out. And then God's people say,